many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Outsiders. It's Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. Robin, how you doing? Yeah, I'm terrific, Bryn. Looking forward to this one. This is going to be a fun one for us, and hopefully anybody who's tuning in today, because we're going to be talking with a Hall of Famer and a lot of Hall of Fames, and that is uh, Terry Jones, a longtime sports writer in Edmonton who has pretty much seen it all. And we're going to try to get him to uh, describe some of the all. <laughs> living, living large for more than 50 years as a sports writer in this town. Pun intended. Yes. Right? Okay, so there we go. Uh, we're going to get to Jonesy coming up in a little bit and uh, very much looking forward to it. Okay, let's, uh, let's start talking about some of the topics uh, from this past week. The situation in Calgary, got to address that right off the top before we get into anything else. That was a very difficult week for the National Hockey League, difficult week for the Calgary Flames, difficult week for the parties involved. I heard a lot of people say it's a dark day for hockey. I don't agree with that. I think it's a great day for hockey. Unfortunately, it took a little darkness to get to the greatness, and that is because now I think we understand that, you know what? Things have been said, things have been done in the past, and we can no longer cover it up. Do you th- I, maybe I don't want to use the word great day for hockey. I think it's a revealing day for hockey, and I think moving forward it will be a great day for hockey. Is that better? Well, you know what? I, it's a day of reckoning, really, Bryn. And there's a bigger story at play here. You know, we've had, you know, this sort of examination of what – what said, how it said, when it said, you know, started most recently, you know, with Don Cherry. Then, you know, how did Mike Bab- Babcock conduct himself? Then we moved on to Bill Peters. There are stories that go well beyond the specific uh, situations with these three uh, hockey people. And, you know, right now, for instance, former player, Dan Carcillo mm-hmm. is basically casting as wide a net as you possibly can. Some people may take issue with that. Some people may not. And saying, if you've got stories about being abused or concerns, DM me. That's as wide a net as you can cast on social media. And you know what? He claims to have heard from more than 300 people. That doesn't mean 300 cases that are going to grab headlines. It's the process. Now, he's had some back and forth with Kelly Chase on social media. Um, There are some older players who say, you know, settle down here. Let's not get carried away. And believe me, that's fair comment in today's uh, social media uh, atmosphere. You know, there can be piling on, there can be generalities, there can be stuff said as truth when really it's rumor or opinion. But I think what's important here, Bryn, is we look at the culture of hockey, and I know some people don't like that term, but I mean, not the winning or losing culture, but the 
the dynamics at play, coaches who have great say over whether we're talking young players trying to get to the National Hockey League or players in the National Hockey League have great control over uh, those players. How are they interacting with those players? Here today is a different time than 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. There are certain things, no matter when they happened, that are out of line. And out of line is putting it soft. If we're talking physical abuse, if we're talking sexual abuse, we know what happened with Sheldon Kennedy and Theron Fleury and Graham James. It doesn't matter when that happened. Uh, the man needed to go to jail. He went to jail. There's no statute of limitations on that. But we've got to be honest with each other and say, there are certain things that were said and done 30 or 40 years ago, 20, pick your decade, that were considered within the norm of the team dynamic. We're talking coaching here. Not, At that time. Yes. You know, you can't, oh, he made me feel you know, my self-esteem, and I'm not mocking that, but coaches would get in your face. They'd kick ass if they had to. Back then, it was considered okay. That's the gray area. Today, it's not considered okay. You don't physically accost a player. You don't spit saliva in his face because you're yelling at him and calling him down to that level. There's a whole spectrum, and you know it, Bryn, it needs to be examined if we want to learn from it and move forward, as opposed to this guy did this 30 years ago, I want him publicly shamed or I want him jailed. If it's worthy of jail, fine. It's the public shaming thing that scares me here, Robin. It's not, you're right, we have to uncover some of this stuff. Some of it is going to be legit, and some of it is going to be not as legitimate as I'd like. And I, and then I wonder whether or not there's personal conflicts involved or agendas involved. I, I, I'm concerned about some things and there's some other things I'm happy about that will come out of all of this. But I just, I, I, I guess what we're going to find out here over the next year or two is where's that line? Social media has blurred the line tremendously. I, I, I watch people, I watch people who... I have no uh, no issue with trying to shame people on Twitter or Facebook or any of the social media platforms. It almost bothers me a little bit. I'd like to get a little more information before I start judging people. Piling on. Yeah. How many times have we seen lately where something happens to somebody and immediately they're guilty in the court of public opinion yep. without finding out any information other than what we've read online? That's the only thing that scares me here. I don't have any problem with uh, with any types of information getting out there. I just want people to deal with it in a reasonable, fair, judicial type of manner. Is that wrong? I don't think so. What you want to do is cast a light on that dynamic. It's a you know it's a multifaceted relationship. If you're talking junior hockey, you got kids at 15 and 16. Away from home. Going away from home. The trust in the people that run the organization, and that's from the uh, GM, the coach, the billet people, all that, is very important. I think now, uh, being a dad about having my son go away, I'd be 
wanting to be damn sure about where he was going and what was happening. I think bringing light to this is good. And while I happen to think a guy like uh, Dan Carcillo, who's got no reason to make stuff up, I used casting a wide net. Let's cast it if you if you think that's the best way, but go through the responses and don't discount them. Eh, but use what you find to remedy uh, what's wrong. If that if there's a, a line of behavior that's still going on, that's one thing. If it was again a gray area, let's be specific about that. There's certain things that aren't gray area. Aaron Flurry and Sheldon Kennedy are it's not, not a gray areas. area. It's you can't do that ever, ever. Doesn't matter which decade. Wrong. But the interaction, the how does the coach motivate you? Does he did he say things and use names and use descriptions twenty years ago that that wouldn't be good now? Maybe you mean beat a player down verbally? Yeah, yeah. That happened. I saw it. I I, I had it happen to me. Not about me. If I was sexually abused, I would like to think I could find the strength to come out about it. Never happened to me. But what was said and how it was said and how coaches thought they could and should motivate players was different a long time ago. I'm a 60-year-old guy, though. So we're talking my career was over by the time I was 20, so 40 years ago. But we need to define, and it's a moving target, how you do things, how you interact, and move ahead and make improvements. It's not about jumping on somebody for what they did 35 years ago if it was in that gray area. More serious, like but like we've said, go for it. Go after it. But let's narrow it down, and let's not throw any names out there about people that we're not sure of. It's a rumor. You need to, you know, if you have corroboration, that matters. It happened with Akeem Alou in this recent circumstance, and two other teammates said, yeah, I was. We saw something. There was a team there, at least, but at least two of the teammates came forward. The bottom line for me is um, exposing these things to scrutiny is not a bad thing, but let's not get carried away. Let's not race through the the steps. Let's not name uh, people and have uh, based on rumor or secondhand experience without understanding that in today's social media, you're going to have a lot of people piling on them it's oh, not yeah. it's not about protecting the bad guys but let's use this awakening the right way to with, make things better from today forward with a proper process here yes okay we'll talk more with terry jones coming up uh, toward the tail end of the interview with him on sure. that a uh, couple other things i want to briefly touch on the edmonton oilers took on the vancouver canucks in a home and home series oilers were beaten in every respect on the Saturday night mm -hmm. at Rogers Place. Go to Rogers Arena on Sunday night with a depleted lineup. Guys out of the lineup, and they find a way to win it. Big, huge, gutsy win for the Edmonton Oilers, and that win, I that might be the biggest win of the season in my estimation because, one, showed me they got a little more depth than we think. Two, fans in Edmonton were starting to not reach for the panic button, but I could start to feel that a lot of fans were starting to go, oh, boy, here we go. And you know what? You have every reason to think that way. You've been given plenty <laughs> of opportunity to be trained by this hockey club to start thinking like that. So I just thought that was a big win by the Edmonton Oilers on Sunday night. I thought they were going to lose that game, Brent. I thought it was okay. That would have been their third loss uh, in a row for the first time this season, and I fully expected them to lose that game. So they showed some things. Miko Koskinen 
was very good again. Um, McDavid got into the game. They just played with a lot of jam. The Canucks are a good team. Yes, they are. And they, you know, when you're shorthanded uh, to the tune, you know, of Ryan Nugent Hopkins and particularly uh, Zach Cassian, because he has made it possible for that first line to tick along so well. Um, you know, when you when you separate McDavid and Drysidle, as they did, and Cassian, who's good at the speed game, which the Canucks can play. I just thought, man, you know, no Chris Russell. You add that up, and you're going back-to-back against a team that just beat you in your building. It didn't look good, so full credit for that one. And Adam Larson and Matt Benning, just could you get out of the way, please? <laughs> Stop getting hit. Stop by getting hit by pucks. It was pretty funny. When I say funny, it was it had become humorous. I'm going, oh, my God, are you kidding? Hit again? In in the other ankle, hey, a truck got hit in the head. Oh my god! And like I said, I don't mean to make fun of it, but it had become ridiculous. Hey, a delivery truck pulls into the arena parking lot and hits Matt Benning. I, I know. Just uh, like I said, we are making fun of a serious situation, but I'll guarantee guys in the locker room were telling these guys we're poking fun at both of those guys about getting the hell out of the way of shots. Two quick football notes: as we expected, the Edmonton Eskimos dismissed. Head coach Jason Moss, not really much more we can say other than the fact that both of us, personally and professionally, Jason was a great guy to deal with. Yes, he was. Okay? However, he's a coach in the W business. If you don't win, you're done. He didn't win enough here. And uh, there were a few other little nagging issues that bothered me. And one, the biggest one for me was the team just didn't seem disciplined. And a lot of that's going to fall on the coach. So am I surprised? No. Any further thoughts on that? Not really. You're, you've got it, Brent. It's a results-driven business. I found Jason Moss passionate, uh, hardworking, prepared. He put in the time. He wanted to win as badly as anybody. Yep. He didn't win enough. You need a new coach. And a lot of stories. And you might be tuning into this podcast, and it may be done, but it looks like Rick Campbell is going to be joining up with the British Columbia Lions as their head coach. Is it a surprise? No. I've had numerous people around the league tell me that they expected that he would sign up in Vancouver. He'll uh, he'll have fun out there. Yes, he will. Got a quarterback. If they can protect the quarterback, he'll, uh, he'll be fine. Everything will be great. Okay, let's get right to it because it's a little long today uh, with Terry Jones, but it's worth every second. We had a lot of fun with Jonesy earlier today, and uh, here's a guy who we both have learned an awful lot from. You were a writer, so to say you might have learned more, I don't know. Is that fair to say? Because I can tell you right now as a broadcaster, when you are uh, a Cub reporter in the 80s and you're watching guys like Terry Jones and Cam Cole, Jim Matheson, uh, Hall of Famers in in so many rights, you learn a lot just by watching those guys. I lived, once I got up the ladder at the Edmonton Journal, I lived in fear of Terry Jones, that he was going to get the scoop, that he was going <laughs> to get me. Because there's nothing you you hate worse as a writer than having your sports editor call you in and say, excuse me, um, Jonesy has this story in the sun today. Can you, rem- can you remind us again about why we're paying you a salary? <laughs> and I, you know what? I yeah. didn't... Uh, Quick, quick story. My own desk pranked me once and sent me into a day-long tizzy in Vancouver when I was fairly new on the beat. 
my assistant sports editor told me, I call you call in the morning, tell them what you're going to write that day. You're off to the morning skate in the old days. Hey, did you read what Jonesy has? Did you, did you read what Jonesy had in the sun today? What's that? Well, they traded Curtis Joseph. Oh boy! I said a bunch of the I said a bunch of the words you can't say on radio or television. You can this say on podcast. on podcast. You could. I sweated for. Would three. you give us just one of those words? Fuck! All right, thank you. I I sweated. You feel until, better now that you got that out of your system. Holy cow! That's my first f bomb here on this pod. Anyway, um, <laughs> they were screwing with me, is what they were doing, and but yeah. Jonesy was the guy, man. You watch. I was a writer. He was a columnist, but still, Jonesy had a, the knack of getting the scoop, and he would lead you to believe. Oh, I just, I just bumped into it. I did. It was lucky. Yeah, uh-huh. Jonesy got lucky a lot, and I feared that. I saw how lucky he got and why he got lucky when I went over to the Sun, from one newspaper to the other, and wrote with him for seven years. And uh, yeah, he. Uh, it's amazing how he got lucky because he had a nose for a story. Hockey Hall of Fame? Yes. A football, C- well, it's not CFL Hall of Fame. It's the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Yes. Curling Hall of Fame. Uh, Alberta Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, I know we're missing a bunch. But but anyway, I'm sure that we'll be able to talk it out of him. Although, he's very humble when it comes to that kind of stuff. Do you want to open with that question when we come back? I think I, think I just might. biggest difference between a guy like you who gets into all these hall of fames and a guy like me who has to buy a ticket to get into all of them first of all i am the luckiest sob in the history of media i mean i tell a lot of people after you know the last 10 or 12 15 years with the oilers and eskimos that uh that's mostly the hockey gods and the football gods getting even with the front end of my career yeah I doubt very much that I'd be in the Hockey Hall of Fame if I hadn't covered the uh, five Stanley Cup, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier era to start with and uh, and then put all those years afterwards. I mean, I go back to the first year of the WHA, so, uh, so uh, part of these awards are, are longevity. But the football's the same thing. I mean, I came in with, uh, well, <clears throat> my first, there's an old expression. Don't take. There's two things you don't want to take to the Grey Cup: your wife and your team. Yes, I've heard that one. Yes. Well, the first nine nine <laughs> of the first ten years that I covered the Eskimos, I had my team in the Grey Cup, and uh, uh, and and you know five consecutive Grey Cups of mm-hmm. they've won fourteen. I covered thir- uh, no, I covered uh, eleven of them, uh, and got to know that fifty four fifty five team like I had covered it. Uh, so you know. That was uh, right time, right place, right guy, right deal, you know. Uh, curling is, I mean, I would not be in the Curling Hall of Fame if, if uh, I wasn't covering people like Kevin Martin and uh, Randy Furby and all those guys. So as much as uh, I'm capable of having a certain amount of ego, uh, I realize that <laughs> there was a lot of luck involved in that. have to ask this because I was thinking about this last night before uh, we taped and it was as a kid growing up in Edmonton in the 60s 
I always remember, and the Edmonton Journal used to come out in the afternoon. So eleven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and so by the time the home delivery got to our place, it was around three thirty, and I always got the paper before my dad. And there was always one rule: if you're going to take it apart, it's got to be put back together again before I get home from work. But I always used to. I absolutely the first thing I ever turned to was uh, Wayne Overland. Was a longtime. A journalist and a columnist, and man, he, uh, we always have that expression, if you're going to cut, cut with a sharp knife, and he always did that, and and so he was one of those guys that I looked at and I went, wow, that's, wow, I can't believe that. Now, these are the guys that I remember growing up with starting, but who kind of got it going for you? Well, I, I, again, luck, I grew up in Lacombe, Alberta, okay, which uh, at the time had a population of 2,900 people. And it had a hockey arena, which was the third largest in Alberta. And it sat 3,000. It had a hockey team called the Lacombe Rockets that uh, you know regularly uh, came close to filling that building in the old uh, Central Alberta Hockey League with uh, you know the Drumheller Miners and the Pinocchio Stampeders and uh, the Old Zelks and the Red Deer Rustlers and, uh, and most importantly, the Edmonton Oil Kings, a junior team playing with these... Uh, old pros. And remember, this is in uh, the uh, the original six days of the NHL. And a lot of guys that had played in the old Western Hockey League or somewhere in the minors just realized, I'm not going to make it. And with, you know, the money involved, decided to go back and, uh, you know, get on with their real life. But they, you know, they're only 24, 25 years old and uh, weren't going to give up playing hockey. And they were playing like 25 bucks a game or something, which, you know, and then was, you know, not insignificant. And the hockey was outstanding. I swear that that hockey I grew up watching and covering. Doug Messier's dad, I mean, Mark Messier's dad, Doug, played for the Lacombe Rockets and guys like that. Uh, so I grew up on that, and I ended up covering that for the Lacombe Globe and re- later the Red Deer uh, 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 Advocate. And then there was also a baseball tournament there called the Lacombe Lions Baseball Tournament, which was the largest in Canada dollar-wise and prestige-wise, and uh, it was uh, those the combination of those two things, uh, you know, what a place for a kid to grow up and, and get schooled. Uh, so, and they, uh, one of the, I did everything at that ball tournament. I mean, I from operating the scoreboard in the outfield to, I was the bat boy the year that, uh, the uh, Three consecutive years when the Granham White Sox. Now, Granham is two elevators in a, a general <laughs> store, right? Yeah, pretty much. But George Wesley, who was like the biggest rancher in the world, uh, ran the baseball team and kind of fancied himself as Casey Stengel. And uh, they had great uniforms with pinstripes and the whole bit. And I happened to be in uh, in uh, the office of... Uh, of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays uh, general manager at the time, uh, Pat Gillick. Yep. And he had a phone call. I said, uh, Terry, I, I, I got to take this one. And I said, well, do you want me to go outside the office? He said, no, but if you hear something, you didn't hear it. So I'm just wandering around his large office looking at the pictures on the wall. And there is a picture of the Granham White Sox. He was a left-handed pitcher for that team, <laughs> and I was the bat boy. And I had to say, come here, look at this. <laughs> wow. Holy cow. You know what? I got to say something, Bryn. I've heard Jonesy talk about his career more than once. He always talks about being lucky. He's lucky a lot, and there's a reason he's lucky a lot. Yeah. 
before I got here, I was in the bullpen in the old Southern chain at the Kamloops Daily News. We ran uh, Ben Kuzma, who's still covering yeah, the yeah. Canucks, mm-hmm. is the guy who hired me. Um, I was there. At the same time I was there, in came Ian McIntyre, who was at the Sun and Province for, years. for a long time, now was at Sportsnet. They're still the two with gainful employment. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd read <laughs> the stuff coming out of Edmonton. And there was, now, of course, you might have to have it photocopied and sent to you back in the early days. Right. But there was Jim Matheson, and there was Cam Cole, and there was Terry Jones. Jonesy got lucky a lot reading that. And you're thinking, okay, and you end up going to the Edmonton Journal, and you think, wow, okay, now I'm here. That's Jim Matheson over there. That's Cam Cole over there. Across the street over on the other side of the city were the Sun guys. Jonesy never had to even give me a second thought. For years, because you know you got to work your way up, but I kept reading from across the street. The sun has learned, or it says here, or or however you want to phrase it. More often than I can remember, and with anybody else in the city, it was always by Terry Jones. Yeah. Now I got the biggest thrill of my life, and it wouldn't have meant much to Jonesy because he was concerned with bigger things then. But I remember how sour he got the one day I convinced Peter Pocklington to let me in to New Tellus Field, and there was a picture of Peter giving the safe sign at home plate. Jonesy had far more, I don't even know how I did it, but the Sun guys showed up. And when you were beat then, you were beat for a whole day. There was no instant update the website. You had to (laughs) chew on that. And the other thing I remember, Bryn, and I got to say it, I went over to the Sun after 11 years at the Journal. It was nice to write with Jonesy. We went that 2006 Cup final run. Uh, I'd seen the other side of it. Yeah. And I always thought, oh, don't beat me. Don't don't beat me on this. Once we were sort of writing about some of the same things. Jonesy kicked so much ass in that first round series against the Red Wings. I there was two of us, and the journal sent three guys, and we drummed them, I got to say. They caught up a little as the playoffs went on, but that was a lot of fun. So Terry gets lucky a lot, and there's a reason for it. You know, the luckiest I ever got was uh, at the very beginning. I'm in grade seven at uh, Lacombe Junior High School, and uh, there's an essay contest on the bulletin board uh, $10, first prize, 500 words. What Remembrance Day means to me, sponsored by the Royal Canadian Legion. Huh. And they just opened a bowling alley in town called Ambassador Bowling Lines, and I got a job setting pins, and I'm uh, in the back, and, uh, you know, brand new machinery, nothing's breaking down, hardly anybody's bowling in the 9 o'clock draw or whatever it was. And uh, so... I'm bored out of my tree, to be honest with you. And for my own amazement and amusement, I grabbed one of the blank sport uh, score sheets and uh, one of those little golf pencils. Yeah, I was I, just going to say. <laughs> uh, start, uh, you know, scribbling this 500-word uh, piece, except I couldn't get to 500 words. I ended up at 474, and I wasn't all that secure on what an adjective was at that point, but I touched... <laughs> Tossed 26 of the suckers into the piece. And after typing class broke out, I, I one-fingered it and sent it in, and I won. 
and they printed it on the front page of the Lacombe Globe by Terry Jones. Printer's ink between my veins, I am a star. So I have to ask, and because Robin brought this up, do you remember the times you you were the big winner, or do you remember those times where you get your ass kicked once in a while? Like when, it, like oh, when you, you got beat. Oh, you remember the times your ass got kicked in big time. <laughs> like you, you said, you had to wait a day. And, uh, but uh, I kind of fancied myself as specializing in stealing the story back, as it were. And uh, uh, so I went, to, I went to work the next day. That was sitting in my face, and I got beat a fair amount. But uh, anyhow, to, just to, to, to wrap on that story, because there's, there's an addendum to it that happened several years later, is... Uh, now the year is 1976. I have just covered the Olympic Games in Montreal and the Canada Cup uh, that was played in Toronto in Montreal hockey that year. And I'm home for Christmas. And I'd never, for some reason, uh, because, I mean, I'm, what, 22 or 24 or somewhere in there, uh, I'd never gone to the bar with my dad. And, uh, anyhow, that's what you kind of did when you went back to, if you got there, this is like the 22nd or 23rd. I never usually got better until the 24th. And, and uh, I'm wandering around the bar making reacquaintances with all the kids I went to high school with and all that sort of thing. And I see my dad waving at me to come over to the table. And he's sitting there with a the guy. And he said, remember this fella? And I said, well, sir, I sure remember your face, but I can't put a name to it. Well, my dad says, well, this is, this is Bob Hill. He's the guy who presented you with the $10 first prize thing for the grip and grin picture in the <laughs> Lacombe Globe, right? And I said, Bob, you know what? If it wasn't for that, I would not, I don't know if I'd be doing what I'm doing today. And Bob laughs. He said, well, we're looking at you and your dad were, I said, you know, we're, me and your dad were sitting here talking and, uh, and we got talking about that essay contest. And, and uh, he said, you know what, uh, Bob? He said, I never told him. He said, what? He told me what? He said, you were the only entry. <laughs> My whole career is based on being the only entry. <laughs> That's perfect, isn't it? It is. Wow. Lucky. <laughs> now, now, you know, you, you use lucky, but Robin and I uh, obviously are tipping our cap to you because it's more than luck. It's, uh, it's knowing how to get the job done. And you've covered so much stuff. Well, is, there anything you, is there anything you've missed? I mean... Going over to the, yeah, there are a couple of things. Uh, going over to the sun, uh, the thing that, although the, you know, the dollars were pretty cool uh, for back then, uh, the thing that, that got me over there was they gave me my own travel budget. And, and, and at the time, uh, I mean, I was already covering uh, World Series and Canada Cups and Olympics and stuff like that. But the... Uh, if you worked in Edmonton as opposed to Toronto, and it hasn't changed a whole lot, and, but I had my own budget. I didn't have to worry whether, you know, they were going to send somebody from Toronto instead of somebody from Edmonton and all that. So I had that unbelievable advantage of being able to, I mean, if you want to stack up the things that, I, that I've covered, I mean, 16 Olympics, uh, what is it now, 47 Grey Cups, 20-some uh, uh, Super Bowls and World Figure Skating Championships, and I haven't covered one of those for a decade. Uh, you know, auto racing, uh, Briars, uh, you know, just name it. You go on and on and on. Baseball, 106 World Series games. Uh, I had to work out all that data when I got into all these Halls of Fame to, to list it. But yeah. uh, anyhow, 
You asked uh, what I haven't covered. Never covered a Masters. Cam pretty Cole, pretty Cam, hard to take Cam that Cole one away always, from Cammy. Yeah, there's no way. He was. I, I think Cammy's <laughs> the best golf writer I've ever read. Yep. Uh, no, second best. Uh, Dan Jenkins would be first. Right up there. <laughs> uh, and uh, but I even covered a a golf thing in Pebble Beach, uh, sitting beside the legendary Dan Jenkins. Uh, it was the last Bing Crosby golf tournament that uh, the Bing was alive for, and I actually met him and talked to him for five minutes. Uh, but it, it featured Jack Nicholas, um, and, and uh, you, you had uh, the I think it was can't remember who it was uh, Hale Irwin. Okay, and uh, and in in the uh, situation of the last the first day out of office of Gerald Ford, and he played on the same force. I mean, they had a deal. Um, in the media room where they allowed eight international writers, or eight, they had a draw. Yeah. But they exempted uh, the international writers from the draw. We just got automatic to be able to walk inside the ropes Yep. for this golf tournament. Okay. So there I am. I mean, sitting beside Dan Jenkins, which impressed me more than anything, Talking to, you know, the the legendary singer, it is clam bake as they called it, and watching the you know the three greatest golfers of all time play with Gerald Ford, bouncing them off the heads of fans in the. In the <laughs> I mean, what a thrill! You know what? It's funny Jonesy would mention the Masters because it also involves you mentioned Cam Cole. Oh yeah. When the California Angels and the Trappers parted ways after an affiliation that lasted some time, the Trappers got aligned with the Florida Marlins, of all people. The northernmost point in AAA and the southernmost point in the big leagues. Well, Cam Cole and I fly into Orlando and down uh, to uh, spring training. Right. Got to cover this weird setup. Well, he spends a couple days writing baseball and then off he goes from there to the masters to augusta his first year now people out there gotta know and i say it with all respect jonesy and cole had a scam i mean he's going oh he's going i gotta go it, they followed each other all over the world and it made for a lot of good copy and i'm sure a lot of good times with jonesy and cam we but, were best enemies. But but one of the first things I thought, <laughs> yeah. Jonesy, when Cam went to that, I thought, well, now he's going to have company. Because Cam wrote that from that year, every year, until he was out of the business. Yep. 25, 26, 27 yeah. years. And I thought it's only a matter of time till Jonesy gets on that. Of course, the newspaper business started to change in that. But, yeah. And I'll, I'll uh, back up what you said. I loved... Uh, reading everything Cam Cole wrote out of the Masters, mercy could he write golf? He could write a lot of things. Uh, yeah, we were we were very different because, uh, and it kind of worked because uh, when last uh, the weekend previous in Calgary, uh, the uh, Canadian Football uh, Reporters Association uh, Hall of Fame, I was inducting. Uh, Larry Tucker in. But I was the, just going to bring Tuck up. Yep. Other guy that went in was Steve Simmons. Yes. Uh, who made special reference uh, 
really an honor with the things he said about me, but uh, basically saying, because he, he started in Calgary at the, at the Sun and Herald, and uh, and he, he made reference to basically patterning himself, is the way he put it, I think, after the at that stage of his career, uh, after me. But he, he also mentioned that in Edmonton, he said, with Terry Jones and Cam Cole, they had the best one-two punch in the history of Canadian sports writing, which is really an awesome mm-hmm. statement coming from a guy like Steve Simmons who's just going into the Hall of Fame. And and the thing that was interesting about uh, working with Cam is, I mean, I mean, you know, when, when, when uh, you're going against each other, you're going against each other, but our styles were so significantly different um, that, uh, you know, the read you were going to get and the approach that you were going to get to any different subject matter was going to be, you know, you had to read both as far as I was concerned uh, to get. And, but, and then after you put your typewriter down and one day Cam filed for a paper that uh, didn't exist at the journal because it was, some holiday Monday that they didn't publish on. I remember, actually, I remember you were involved in that because I think you were the PR guy in Winnipeg at the Jets at yes. the playoff game. Uh, but you go out and uh, and you play hard together sort of thing, right? So, I mean, we, we had a trip to uh, New Zealand and Australia that I could stand, talk for two hours here about some of the adventures on that trip just with the... Uh, with Cam and Larry Wood. I'm, I'm guessing you do, and probably other <laughs> ones too. I mean, the guy gets hit by a truck, right, and barely misses a round of drinks in Europe, so. Yeah. Oh, well, now i got to tell it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was just going <laughs> to, because you mentioned Larry Tucker, because Larry would say, yes. you'll never believe what happened to Jonesy on this trip or what, or that trip. Yeah, let's talk about some of these close calls for you. These uh, Well, the, the getting hit by a truck was started with Don Cherry of everything. He had taken a trip to, uh, he, I had no idea at the time until we had this conversation that that he was a, a great Admiral Nelson fan. And that convinced him to talk Al Strachan, uh, you remember Al the hockey writer? Yep. Mm-hmm. And to go in with, with him to, to England on a holiday and, you know, to kind of dive into all things uh, Admiral Nelson. And that included going to what turned out to be, I think, 14... 300 plus year old bars <laughs> 14 <laughs> okay that still exist or still there right that's research it is and so cam and i decided we're on our way <laughs> to uh munich to cover the world figure skating championships and we decide well you know let's uh depart on our own expenses a little early and uh go to london for three days <laughs> or and uh and then we go and we uh tackle this assignment and we decide two and out so anyhow it's the third night now and and we're we're coming up we got one left to go uh and we're we take the the tube there and we get off the elephant and castle stop and we got about four blocks to walk to get to this last remaining pub and we go past a place called the blue-eyed maid from which the wonderful Sounds of 50s and 60s music. Oh, here we go, right in your wheelhouse. (laughs) Magnet. (laughs) And uh, Cam virtually had to drag me past this place to (laughs) to get to these, complete our assignment and have our last two and out. So we get back in there, and I turn into my old disc jockey act there. Um, Should I hit him with that? (laughs) 
You can yeah, do it. 22 hours past the hour, seven more million dollar music from the Golden Graveyard. Hi, everybody. I'm TJ the DJ coming at you strong all night long with another rustic relic from yesteryear. Here's Neil Sedeca. Happy birthday, sweet 16. I did that. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I did that for a couple of gigs at CKRD Radio and Red Deer to write a piece for the Red Deer Advocate and. Uh, and I've had nothing but fun with it ever since because, I mean, that's my music and it always will be. And unfortunately, there's no 50s, 60s bars left out there because. Well, that, uh, you know. <laughs> but, but, so you, you, you went into this bar. Yes. And, and then. And then we, uh, we had a, 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 I guess we kept it. I mean, they're supposed to close those things at 1130 at night or something like yep. that. And it's a tad past that point. And they finally have to say. You know, we have to close, right? And we're just, everybody's having a ball. Everybody in the bar, the, and, uh, but they, they gift us with a bunch of those uh, towels you put on the, on the, on the bar, you know, like Guinness and all those different brands. To sop of, up the suds. Yes. And, well, Cam's just wearing a golf shirt. I've got on a, a, a sports jacket, right? So I'm tucking all these things in the pockets of the sports jacket and inside my belt and, uh, and anyhow, we go out, flag down a cab, and d- just before we left, the, the the owner of this establishment says, uh, "You guys, I can tell you're not going straight to bed here." He says, "You might want to go uh, visit." Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the boxer there. Uh, he was a bleeder. Um, oh man, you that's see, a long he, list. He used to cover boxing. Uh, was he an American or a no? British? No, a British guy. Uh, oh, Henry Cooper. Henry. Nope. Well, whoever he was. Google it. Yeah, maybe it was. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, we went to this. He had a bar on Old Camp Road. So uh, we get in the cab, and, and uh, it might have been Henry Cooper. Uh, we, we went in to get in the cab, and I said, take us to Henry Cooper's uh, uh, pub on Old Camp Road. And he turns around and says, Old Camp Road is the longest road in all of England. Where on Old Camp Road? So uh, I go back to the bar knock on the door and they'd look it up in the book and, uh, and I head back out, but I forgot where I was. Yeah. And, uh, you have to look the other way with the traffic. And I did not do that. And, uh, a lorry, uh, a truck with a canvas side newspaper truck with a canvas side. Uh, yes, it was Henry Cooper. Okay. Uh, Robin well done. Just, well Robin done. Robin just Googled Robin. it there. Yes, well done. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, uh, as the rest, as you hear this, will be as described to me by Cam Cole because I was in the process of getting clobbered by a truck. But I guess out of the side of my eye, I caught it peripherally and threw what amounted to a football roll block into the canvas. And as the truck wheeled by, the next sight that Cam and the cab driver had was of me upside down in the air, somehow managing to come down and, and land in such a way that it did something resembling a pop-up slide. My, my glasses were flown off. Both, both uh, lenses popped out. I collect those off the street, <laughs> come back, sit in the cab, and they're both looking at me like I should be dead, which I probably should have been. And uh, Cam later said, I actually had a flash. Do I call your wife, Linda, and tell her what's happened, or do I file the story and get the scoop? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Anyhow, the uh, the whole the whole deal was uh, uh, just 
you know, and then we head off to uh, Munich to cover this thing, and I'm not feeling too good for three or four days after that, but damn, enjoyed telling that story for years and years and years. You, wow. you know, when you look back on a life story, if you're going to go, that, to be hit by a truck that was a newspaper truck in uh, jolly old England after doing research in a few pubs, if you're going to go the right way, that would have been it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad I'm still around to be talking to you fellas. That's great. A uh, couple of things. Let's let's get into some of the stuff that's going on right now because it's pretty crazy out there. Robin and I, off the top of the show, we're talking about this whole uh, situation that's ruled out in Calgary and how this might change the entire the entire geography of the National Hockey League or hockey in general. Did, are you buying into all that? Uh, not to the extent that people are selling it. I mean, every sport has uh, situations. Uh, I was talking uh, the other day with. Uh, a couple of colleagues just, you know, having a a pop, and we're, 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 you know, what happens to Bill Peters next, right? And somebody threw out the idea, well, I bet he ends up in Europe because, uh, you know, there's a lot of, if you're familiar with soccer, there's a lot of uh, controversy over there uh, with, with racism in, in, in involved in soccer. And uh, it seems to be a different landscape. But... My question on the thing, and I'm sure the Flames researched it and uh, and did the right thing, and I'm sure the National Hockey League was in there with both feet, but uh, uh, this is something that happened 10 years ago or something yep. like that? Yeah. Uh, if nothing happens since then, uh, you know, that's a different thing. But if it was repeated offenses and uh, and there's the other aspect of it, of, of coaching is different now. You have to, uh, you have to approach players... Uh, they have ownership and, and buy-in and stuff that's entirely different than uh, coaching them, shall we say, out of fear, like, yeah, you know, 30, 40 years ago or whatever. And uh, the salaries are significantly different too. So, uh, but I and we in, in, in this town have, been, uh, have, you know, had a sampling of some of the greatest hockey coaches of all time. And uh, with all sorts of different, uh, um, you know, uh, styles and, uh, and and ways of approaching it, and with one exception, I I, I can't really pinpoint one guy that I that I thought had any character flaw whatsoever. I mean, they, they were. I mean, and I didn't necessarily get along with them all, but uh, uh, from that point of view. Uh, I'm not sure. It's. I mean, I wouldn't say it's going to blow over, but it, because it's going to really affect the way you look at hiring coaches in, in one aspect, and and it further empowers players, I suspect. But uh, uh, I mean, we we've had. Uh, I think Edmonton's been in a unique situation with, uh, in terms of uh, black players. For example, one of the greatest trivia questions of all time was. Uh, at one point, there were five black goalies that had played in the NHL, and all five had played in Edmonton, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was a wonderful trivia question. And you had uh, you know, the Anson Carters and the yep. Mike uh, Mike Greer, Mike Greers, and all those guys. And goaltenders: Fuhrer, Pokey, Joaquin Gage. Um, oh, here we go. No, but that's a good try. I mean, I yeah, I, well, I know yeah. the names. They're not, they're not all coming to me. Uh, what's his name? Who played in Winnipeg? Uh, uh, there's uh, uh, oh, Freddie Brathwaite. Yes, Freddie yeah, Brathwaite. Uh, anyway, there's yeah. Five of them. So we're missing one. 
one is just leave it at that. People can Google it. Yeah, next one is tough to come up with, and I can't do it. Oh, man. Anyhow, the whole point of the thing is that, uh, you know, Edmonton's had a real wide uh, sort of exposure to a lot of different things involved in this whole conversation. And, you know, it's as well covered a market as you're going to find. And we're not going to miss stuff like that. So I I think it's uh, not... To anywhere near the extent that people think it is. And there are a whole bunch of other sports out there, folks. That are, oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think it's exclusive to hockey to any extent. Well, and Jonesy, you're a little bit older than I am. I What I would hope what comes out of all of this, uh, when you're talking about relationships between coaches and players, because it is, even with the money involved today, a power relationship. The coach can have a lot of say over what happens to you. If you're a superstar, you can have some say over what happens to the coach. But the average guy, it's not about... Things were so different. Now, I wasn't a reporter uh, 50 years ago, but I was 11 years old 50 years ago. Things have changed. What you can say, how you can trash talk. Certain things, no matter what era, you cannot do. We know the cases of... of, uh, uh, Sheldon Kennedy and, and, and Theron Flurry. It doesn't matter what era that happens, it's wrong. More subtle things, not that they're okay, but that we know better now, language, how you talk to people, those do change. And I think it's more about, as we look ahead, how can we be better, not jumping on some guy who said something yeah. that 40 years ago, it wasn't necessarily the smartest thing to say, but it was within the realm of, of what could be said and say and hammering a guy for something that was the norm in the day. Let's look ahead, move ahead, and be smarter about everything. Well, uh, Bryn worked inside an organization uh, or a couple of organizations, mm-hmm. uh, Winnipeg Jets in particular, so you get a different perspective from there. But uh, being around, and I wouldn't call us insiders, Robin, but uh, uh, have I mean my area used to fly on the same commercial aircraft and stuff like that with the teams. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so you, there was a little different relationship, but, uh, it was part of the package even 20 years ago. Uh, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Bryn, that, uh, and you mentioned the word trash talk, uh, which I hate, but, uh, the, it was kind of accepted that, uh, that you got, that kind of on the ice, particular in the or on the field, that kind of uh, um, treatment by other players is part of gamesmanship, almost like uh, you know, if you were uh, a coach with one eye, uh, you got the nickname Cyclops, and uh, uh, you know, um, and if you had you know whatever race you were with, uh, uh, you know. They were going to get under your skin on that. If you're yep. if you're a fat sports writer, you're going to hear it about that. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know it was uh, it was just kind of part of the package. Everybody gave everybody shots, and they kind of rolled off pretty easy. Most people, and uh, and so it wasn't taken the same way it is now. Like you call it the N word, uh, that rolled off a lot of tongues of a lot of people who were not. I'm sorry, were not prejudiced. It was you grew up with these little candies. Uh, licorice candies that were called that on the box. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, things have changed. And, you know, and, and it's funny you should say that. Yeah, I, I'm lucky because I, I've seen behind the curtain as well as been on the other side or the dark side as it was. It's funny. doesn't matter which side that you were on. The other side referred to the other side <laughs> as the dark side. When you're in the media side, the inside of the hockey club was the dark side. When you're in the inside of the hockey club, we referred to the media as the dark side. But I never saw anything like that. But you know what? For a coach to be yelling at a player, I didn't didn't hear an awful lot of individual pokes. And, and I think things have changed a little bit. I think that there's separate stories, unique stories in every uh, in every league, in every sport. But all, all the time I spend in Winnipeg and in Edmonton behind that curtain, I never saw anything like that at all. But I do know that, and you pointed out, the guys on the ice, there's also a line. Right, they yep. never went down that family line. Only once, and it's a story that I still remember, where the N word came up, and I was on that particular road trip with the Oilers. Mike Greer was the player, and it was in Washington. Chris Simon was the player yep. who uttered it, and it was right at the end of the game. And I had gone down from the press box down to the uh, area where the guys were going to come off the ice, and I watched both Bill Guerin and Doug Wade go ballistic in the last twenty yep. seconds of the game. I'm going, what the, what the hell's going on here? And they came off fuming. Ron Lowe came off fuming. The team came off fuming. The one guy who didn't fume when he came off the ice Mike was Greer. Mike Greer. And because he said, I've heard way worse than that. However, for the white guys on the team who not had anybody utter that before to Monkey. a teammate. Yeah, that's right. They went, they went absolutely crazy. And that story, and we're in the U.S., we're in Washington. And you have a, you know, a... There's an ethnic background to Chris Simon as well. Anyway, that story followed us for four games in the yep. U.S. And uh, I'd like to think that that doesn't happen as much anymore, but I might be wearing the rose-colored glasses, I guess. Well, well I covered Grant Fuhrer from the get-go in his career, and yep. I swear he was three years into his NHL career before he realized he was black. That was when Ebony Magazine showed up to interview him. And he, he didn't know what to do because the, the subject matter just was foreign to him, right? Yeah. Because he never was made to feel black in Edmonton. I know. You know what? It, it, thankfully, it's changing. There's 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 a ways to go. Um, I stood between um, Avery and Larac in L.A. in the parking lot when George accused Avery of calling him a monkey. I remember that story too. And yes. the person standing behind Avery was George Peros. And the bus started to empty because they wanted George out of there because he was angry. And Avery was denying it. Make up more stuff, George. Make up more. He was taunting him as only Avery could do. That blew over. George grew up with that in Montreal as a kid. Right. You know, that kind of stuff, we got to get out of the game. That kind of stuff wasn't good then, it's not good now. And I think we're headed there. The vast, vast majority, because... Well, this will help it, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to, it, it, you know, Dan Carcillo, uh, we talked about him. Uh, Bryn and I are going to talk about him. He's basically saying, I'm here, guys. Whether you believe he's doing it the right way or not, he's saying, DM me, you got any stories? Maybe something comes out of it. Maybe something does it, doesn't. But the league has to get better. How these things are handled has to get better. And we can say the vast majority, and that's true, and that's good. But it doesn't take very many cases, especially if they're on the end of the spectrum that we've seen 
with a Sheldon Kennedy or with a Theron Fleury. One in a thousand is too many. Yeah. So I hope something good comes of this. I believe it will. You mentioned Montreal in the case of George. Uh, you know, Montreal, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the uh, uh, signal post towns in, in the whole case of it. I mean, Jackie Robinson yep. broke into professional baseball in Montreal. That would talk about a time when I talk about a different time. I mean, oh. Jackie had, uh, uh, you know, religiously uh, hold his, I got to know him later. He, he actually spoke at a couple of dinners I was at, but he, he always spoke at how everybody talked about how he was the right guy at the right time to do that. He mm-hmm. said, I was the last guy because I had I had anger management issues that were beyond that I had to control that were way more difficult on me than maybe Larry Doby or somebody that came on after me right well hopefully we'll see some positive out of this and as we move forward and we're getting tight on time here so I, I, I a couple of things one and uh, Robin brought it up I'm going to bring it up too as a kid who just started in the radio field in the 80s watching you Jim Matheson and Cam Cole, and how you uh, ask questions in scrums. Very invaluable for a young broadcaster to watch how that was done. There were a couple of occasions where Cam would pull me aside quietly and without being uh, scoldy or trying to be a teacher or a dad figure, which he's not that much older than me anyway, but he would just say, don't forget to ask a question. (laughs) And you know what? Because we radio guys often just have blurred out a statement. But man, oh man, just... uh, to be able to watch guys like you, uh, I'm lucky that I was around when I was. I wish I had been around five years earlier to go through that 80s run with everybody, not just come in and at the latter half of it. But uh, I want to thank you for that because that, uh, that was invaluable teaching for me. Well, it was actually uh, an era where you could get away with, get even with the odd radio Johnny, as we used to call him. <laughs> <laughs> because all you had to do, because they're taping it, right? And uh, uh just throw in the odd four-letter friend getter in your question, and uh, <laughs> and major surgery to do with a with a with a the old Gillette way. blue blade or something. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I did that once involving Jonesy in a scrum, but it wasn't a question. But it was on <laughs> it was on live TV, so we'll we'll leave it at that. Thank you for your time today. I can't can't say enough about it. It's been fantastic. The book is the World Capital of Curling by Terry Jones. That's one of many. And uh, I, I just, I, we'll have to have you back again because there's so many stories and just not enough time. Well, if I ever get around to writing my own book on all my stories, <laughs> that would be the time. <laughs> I think you, you got to have that. You got to have one more in you, Jonesy, and that should be it. Really, it should be. One more book? Well, I, I, this one isn't uh, making me rich, but uh, there are about 100 copies left at uh, Curling Alberta at. Uh, uh, 118th Avenue and just this side of, uh, or east of Grote Road. Uh, they're not going to be there by Christmas. Oh, but, no. Uh, uh, I would love to write that book, but uh, the problem is, is all the people who are asking me to write it are all my colleagues uh, who are also putting the addendum. You can't tell that story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but... but uh, uh, those are all the people I have to give a free book to, so I never make any money on the thing anyhow. <laughs> How much longer do you want to keep going? Uh, I doing, hate asking that doing, question. I'm 71 and a half on Christmas. 
doing what I do is a, uh, I call it my daily fix. Okay. <laughs> it really is. If I take five days off without, you know, being touring around or doing something that, uh, and I, you know, with my knees, I can't golf anymore. And I never could even when I had a set of knees, um, I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, I, uh, I have, I don't want to call it a, an ability cause it really isn't, but I have a, something that happens to me that, that I can't explain, but I will sometimes go to bed at night without a clue what I'm writing the next day, wake up to take one of my more frequent trips to the bathroom. And that <laughs> column will be essentially written in my head at three thirty in the morning or whatever. Right. Who does that happen to? You know, and I used to to work a lot of radio doing a show called Just a Minute or uh, Terry Jones at Large or something like that twice a day, and I and people don't realize how much work is involved in a one minute show because you never stop thinking, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, that kind of thing is, uh, I guess, it's just part of who I am and what I do, and. Uh, it's getting more difficult physically to, I mean, I'm not going to be covering too many downhill ski events in the rest of my career, but, uh, <laughs> and I love those. I tell you, uh, Jonesy, you've earned the right over and over and over again to keep getting lucky as long as, <laughs> yeah. you, as long as you want to. So that, that, that's your call. Uh, <laughs> I know a I'm lot. I'm having of, fun too. I mean, I'm, I've, I've, I've enjoyed this hour immensely. It, it's been, it's been a blast to look back a little bit. And the studio door is always open for you, and uh, you're more than welcome to walk in any damn time you want. Well, I hope this show really uh, continues to it's soar growing, and fly, and uh, and you guys continue to have some fun of your own here. Pro Am Sports is Edmonton's home for sports and entertainment memorabilia, featuring unique collectibles and apparel. We've got you and your fan cave covered. Pro-Am Sports, located in Edmonton at 12728 St. Albert Trail and proamsports.ca. Could have talked to Jonesy for another hour. That was a lot of fun. Enjoyed it very much. Another hour or two or three. (laughs) The only thing missing today... And I guess I could have done this. I could have brought in uh, uh, some Bacardi and we could have had a Coke and <laughs> we, it would have been just like old times on the road with uh, with Terry, but uh, do appreciate his time today. He's got a curling book out. It is a monster book. It's huge. It is great. Uh, we're going to talk with him about that next week. And Brian Mudrick from TSN is going to join us too, voice of the Montreal Canadiens from Boyle, Alberta. Nice gig. It's a great gig for uh, Muddy. Uh, very pleased to see him with the with the job there. Uh, great hockey town and uh, a storied franchise to cover as well. And also has done his share of curling, so we'll have a little bit of that as well. Anyway, that's coming up on the show next week. Uh, don't forget, you can also email us at mightymouth at shaw.ca. Tell your friends and also get them to subscribe or hit the RSS button on our feed on your favorite Ear Candy site. That would be fantastic. Also, we're right in the process now of working on, if you can believe it, a best of show. <laughs> Every time I say it, I just want to laugh. But it's we had some, you know what, since we started this in September, we've had some great guests We've had some great stories, and we're going to get to that. It'll run through the uh, through the Christmas and New Year's period. 
and uh, I think you're going to love it. Also, we're working on a Battle of Alberta holiday special with former broadcasters Tim Spellacy from High TV. This is going back into the 80s. And also Grant Pollock from Calgary, 2 and 7. There you go. Hey, I got to ask, though, before we go, did I make any of those best of clips? You did, actually. I found one. Oh, good. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in there. Don't worry about it. Also, uh, coming up in the new year, we're going to take you behind the locker room door. And we're going to be uh, chatting with Barry Stafford and Ken Lowe, who, were, uh, who are both Hall of Famers, by the way, in uh, their respective areas with equipment manager and athletic therapists. We'll be chatting with them coming up in the new year. So uh, very pumped up about that. Am I forgetting anything? Are we about ready to wrap this baby up? I don't think you missed anything. It was a terrific show. Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was it was a blast. And we look forward to any of your feedback, so make sure you get back to us. And i got to apologize. There's a few emails I have not got back to that I got over the past week. It's just been crazy, and I'll get back to you folks as fast as I possibly can. So, Robin, thanks. We'll talk to you again next week. See you next time. All right. was recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.